This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. So you see the contrast between the blood of Abel, so when you see that, and the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Abel cries out justice. The wrath of God, it it, it cries out punishment. But the blood of Jesus Christ to the cross, it cries out love, grace, mercy. And when we repent our sins and come to Christ through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. We have salvation. We have eternal life because of the blood of Jesus. When Abel was killed by his brother, His blood spilt out onto the ground. When God confronted Cain, he said it was Abel's blood that cried out for justice. In a similar way, when Jesus died, his blood shouted the message of forgiveness and grace. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about the parallels between these two stories. Because of the blood of Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins offered to everyone who believes in him. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 as he continues his message a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So my question is, are we reverencing the Word of God? Do we take the Word of God fearfully? Do we respect it with reverence when we read the Word of God? Are we receiving it like out of respect as the children of Israel did? You know, that makes me think, to be honest. When I open my Bible to respect it, to respect the Word of God. We live in a time when nobody respects anything nowadays. And we need to respect the Word of God. Do not take it lightly. And so... Moses himself was afraid. Now, the writer is trying to do here by pointing to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. What he's trying to do here is to give us a picture about the law. That's what he's trying. It's about the law and it's about grace. And what he's trying to say, if the law, the Ten Commandments, with the fire and the smoke and the lightnings and the, the sound of a loud, a loud trumpet, if it can make a physical mountain shake and move, and it did, how much more would the law do to man? How much more would it do to man? You see, the law reveals the righteousness and the holiness of God. The law shows that there is the wrath of God as well. And it points against sin. It's against sin. Remember the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to a group of Jewish believers who attempted to go back to the laws of Moses. And he's going to give them that comparison because they're going to know what happened in Mount Sinai. They, they learned it in rabbinical school. They learned it in, in the synagogues. Generation after generation and how the Lord God gave Moses the commandments in which they lived by. And they feared it in their respect. But he's trying to, he's going to show the difference between this mountain, Mount Sinai, and Mount Zion. You see, the commandments, and we know this, the commandment was never given to us to fulfill. 
the commandments, we know there are ten commandments, you know, thou shalt not, thou shalt have no other God before me. That's the moral commands. Then you have the commandments, the law of the civil law. You have the Levitical laws. So you have the civil laws, uh, Levitical laws, and you have the moral laws. All of them make up around 613 laws. Can we keep them? Absolutely not. We can't even keep the first one. How can we even keep the second, third? It's 613. It's impossible. Because it was never meant for us to fulfill. And one of the misconceptions that people do have, 9 out of 10 or 19 out of 20, will probably say, well, God gave us this command because it's just laws, a bunch of do's and don'ts. So you do this and you don't do that. No, that's not why God gave it to us so we won't do these things. He gave it to us so he could show, we can see that God is a holy God and we're not. Those list of laws shows how holy God is. To be right with him, you can't break not one single commandment. It's to show how holy God is and how sinful man is. And when that came to man, it shook the mountain. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes to the church of Rome, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It just shows you what is sinful. But Jesus Christ fulfilled all the laws and the prophets. And that is the reason why it's through him that we made righteous. And so... After he described Mount Sinai to the children of Israel, now he's going to give us the contrast with another mountain called Mount Zion. Mount Zion, that's in verses 22 to 24. And so let's look at the contrast. Look at verse 22. He says, but you, notice that, but you, believers in Jesus Christ, but you have come to Mount Zion Go back up to verse 18. He begins verse 18. He says, For you have not come to the mountain. You have not come to the mountain, Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion. There's a difference. There's a difference. So now before we go any further, Mount Zion, you probably heard the word Zion or Mount Zion quite often if you study the word of God. What is Mount Zion? Where is it? What does it mean? Well, hopefully I can answer all those questions for you today. Zion is mentioned 161 times in the entire Bible, 154 times in the Old Testament, 7 times in the New Testament. Both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the word Zion or Sion means fortification. It means a perch place. However, the exact location, not many people or not many scholars know exactly the place because it was never meant to be a place. Is a spiritual place. But it's another word for Jerusalem. And it refers to the highest, most ancient part of Jerusalem. Now, you have the word Zion by itself. And you have Mount Zion. And so, Mount Zion is a hill. And it's first mentioned in 2 Samuel in chapters 5 and 6. You should read that for homework. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 6. After David captured the hilltop fortress in Jerusalem, he resided there himself and he placed the Ark of the Covenant there in Zion. 
And then Zion by itself, when you see the word Zion, for you students of the word, it is synonymous with the city of God. It refers to the city of God. And that's what we're, we're going to focus on. Because we're not talking about a physical mountain. That's not the point. The point is we're going to be focusing on a spiritual place, a city of God. Because we did not come to a mountain that we can touch. We have come to Mount Zion. Let's read Psalm. This is a great Psalm. Psalm 87 verses 2 and 3. The psalmist write this. The Lord loved the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling of Jacob. What does that mean? Everywhere Israel was. So more than anywhere Israel dwelled. So the Lord loved the gates of Zion more than any dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. That's the point. That's where the writer of Hebrews is trying to point here. It's not a physical mountain, but it's a spiritual place in a spiritual sense. So the contrast is between the two. Let's continue reading verse 22. He said, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. And here it is. So we know, keeping this in context, this is a spiritual sense. The heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. Now, is that a physical place? On earth? No. Heavenly place, Jerusalem in heaven, right? So, with the old covenant, here's the contrary. With the old covenant, the laws of Moses, the commandments, the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai with fear and trembling. But here, here it is. But now, we as believers in Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ, we can boldly come through the throne of grace, through the new covenant, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, without fear. They feared the physical mountain, Mount Sinai. But because of Jesus Christ, we come to Mount Zion, which is without fear. Let's keep on reading. Let's read from 22 again. But you have not come to Mount Zion, to the city of living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. There are plenty of angels. There isn't a number. That's, that's how many angels are in heaven. Okay? And there's only a third that fell. Alright, there's two-thirds in heaven, so the entire angelic host that is there, verse 23, to the general assembly. What is the general assembly? Well, let's look back. There's the cloud of witnesses mentioned in chapter 11. We study chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the Hall of Faith chapter, right? All the Old Testament saints that made it, right? That is the cloud of witnesses. It says, and... Church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. The firstborn, when you speak about firstborn, it speaks about an inheritance, an inheritance. And we believers in Jesus Christ, because we've been born again, we become sons and daughters of God. We are going to inherit the kingdom of God with God because of Christ, right? Look what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if children, speaking of us, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Okay? And as firstborns, Paul also writes in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so, continue reading at the end of verse 23. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and it's only through Christ. Okay, it's not that we are perfect. 
through Christ we're perfect. Now, we, we studied this before. When the Bible says, be holy for I am holy, right? Jesus says, be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. Is that a hard thing to do? No, it's not a hard thing to do. It's an impossible thing to do. But through Christ, we can. And we're not completed, perfect, or holy practically because we do need a lot of work. I need a lot of work myself, okay? But positionally, who we are in Christ, we are completed, we're holy, we're righteous, we're perfect because of Jesus. Not of anything we've done, but because of Jesus. And so, it says in verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator... He's the mediator of the new covenant, right? The old covenant, Mount Sinai, new covenant, Mount Zion. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. They speak better. Here's that, the theme of the book of Hebrews is another better. The blood of Jesus Christ is better than that of Abel. Now, what's so important about Abel's blood? Who is Abel? Well, for those of you who do not know, back in Genesis chapter 4, you remember Cain and Abel, the first family, the first brothers that was murdered? See, the Bible's filled with a lot of dysfunctional families, okay? It started in the garden many, many years ago, okay? The first brothers, then one killed the other, okay? And so Cain killed his brother Abel, and this is what the Lord said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What is it that this blood of Abel in Genesis cried out to the Lord? What did it cry out? You know what it cried out? As with every blood of those that have been murdered, not killed, murdered, whatever. It it cries out justice. It cries out judgment. His blood cries out revenge. That's what it cries out. Okay, now he's comparing the blood of Abel, okay, cries out justice, judgment, and revenge to the blood of Jesus Christ of the cross of Calvary. And what does the blood of Jesus Christ cries out? Love, grace, forgiveness. So you see the contrast between the blood of Abel, so when you see that, and the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Abel cries out justice. The wrath of God, it it, it cries out punishment. But the blood of Jesus Christ to the cross, it cries out love, grace, mercy. And when we repent our sins and come to Christ through the cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. We have salvation. We have eternal life because of the blood of Jesus. And so, Mount Sinai, the children of Israel received the law with fear. In contrast, we believers of Jesus Christ, we receive uh, the grace of God in Mount Zion without fear, all because of Jesus. And so this is so important for us to understand and get because quite often people still forget and they try to add the law to their relationship with God. They try to use that in, in a legalistic way, and many of them very legalistic. Oh, the, this is one of the commandments. This is the 400th commandment we shouldn't break. Well, if you're going to live by the law, what does what did Paul say? If you break one law, you broke all the laws. Very, very simple. Let me just kind of give you how that looks today. If you commit a crime, you are already a criminal. Just one crime, you're already a criminal, okay? And for those of you who have committed a crime here, don't be convicted, all right? Don't, don't feel, you know, condemned. If you, you're forgiven by the blood of Christ, God doesn't care about your, your, legal, your background. And that's the great thing about coming to Christ He's forgiven you of all your sins, regardless what kind of record you have. 
Because more important, when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord of Personal Savior, you've been forgiven. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It doesn't matter what's written down here. It all matters what Jesus has done on the cross. But it's the, the law can never make you perfect. Okay? Can never make you perfect. With the law, if you're in the Old Testament, with the law, what happens? It's a bunch of do's, 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 and don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. Right? 613 commandments, 248 do's, and 365 don'ts. It's impossible to keep them. So there's a bunch of do's and don'ts. But through Christ, through Mount Sinai, through Christ Jesus, through Jesus, through his blood, it's no more do's than don'ts. It's done, done, done. Telestai, it is finished. He paid for all your sins. So do you want to go to Mount Sinai? You want to live by the law? Just remember, you break one, you break them all. We can't even keep the first one. But praise God, because of Jesus Christ, we don't have to live by the law. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean, okay, well, I'm going to go murder somebody because I don't live by the law. Thou shalt not, you know, kill. It's really mean murder. No, those are moral laws. We obey them. It's not that we have to, but we get to. That's the reality of it. And so this is exactly what he's trying to relate here. And so there is a difference. So when we think about Sinai, we think about the law. When we think about Mount Zion, we think about Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the contrast between the two. That's in verses 18 to 24. Now we're going to look at verse 25. Just one verse, 25. That's going to bring us to the fifth warning written in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews had five, a series of five warnings. And if you've been with us from chapter 2, you probably you remember some of those warnings. And every time we got to those warnings, we brought it to your attention. We gave you the warning. There's a warning coming, right? So we looked at the warning back in Hebrews chapter 2 is the warning of drifting away. The warning of drifting away. And as applies for all of us, we need to be careful. In chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, we looked at the warning of unbelief. Unbelief. Now you may say, well, I'm a Christian. You know, why would I be warned about that? Don't I believe? Well, you can turn and not believe after a while. That's exactly, he brought the example of the children of Israel. They got to a point where they didn't believe anymore. And God, what happened? They never made it to the promised land until that generation died and passed away 40 years in a desert, okay? And so the third warning was in Hebrews chapter 6. It is the warning of spiritual immaturity. We need to be mature. We need to grow in our faith. We need to not be complacent where we are. Okay, I just go to church. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah, I only open my Bible when I'm in church, but you never open it at home. And what happens is when you don't mature, you're like an oversized grown person on a high chair with a bib. You know, we need to stop drinking milk. How many of us been in church for so long, 10, 20 years, and we're still talking about the basics? Move on, mature, grow in your faith. So it's important because if you don't mature in your faith, what's going to happen? And that's the reason why we, we go into this cycle in Christianity. Well, you know, I feel down. Oh, why am I dealing with all this? And then we start, and then we start unbelieving, and then we start drifting away. It's very important that we stick to the word of God. That's the reason why we teach it here verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Then we looked at the 10th warning. is the warning of apostasy. 
The warning of apostasy. What is that? If you recall, he's writing to the first readers of Hebrews. They were Jewish believers who had found Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. So in their newfound faith, they okay, they're doing well. But under extreme persecution, they said, well, this is too much to be a Christian. I'm going to go back to the temple. I'm going to go back to sacrificing the lambs when they already accepted the Lamb of God. You see, that's apostasy. When we already received Christ, when we know that Jesus Christ is the only way, but then we say, I found something better than Jesus, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because you have tasted what the Holy Spirit has given you. You knew that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only, his blood is the only one that could atone for your sins. And what happened was, after they received Jesus Christ and his crucifixion on the cross, his blood, the atonement for the sin, they became born again. They said, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to go back to the temple, to the high priest, and every year sacrifice a lamb. That's apostasy. So those are the four warnings. Now we're going to look at the fifth and final warnings in the book of Hebrews. In verse 25, let's look at the verse 9. It says this, See that you do not refuse him who speak. See that you do not refuse him who speak. It kind of seems like a little simple, but no, it's not. Do not refuse him speaking of Jesus Christ. Who speaks? Jesus Christ. Who spoke to Moses at the burning bush? Jesus Christ. I am. Who spoke to Moses at the mountain? Jesus Christ. Who spoke everything to existence that the the Gospel of John tells us? Everything was created by him, for him, and without him nothing was made. Jesus Christ. It's not like the Father has anything to do with it. No, the Father is there. He's being obedient. He's the creator of the heaven and the earth. You see, all of them together, they even got together to create man. Right? In the beginning, it said, let us, the plural pronoun, let us create man out of our image. Another plural pronoun. So together, Jesus Christ created everything. When it came to you, it came to me, man, the, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit got together. Let us create man out of our image. But we go on, and he says, do not refuse him who speaks. It is Jesus Christ who speaks. And we know this because if you've been with us from the beginning... Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrew tells us that it is Jesus who speaks to us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Here it is. Has in these last days spoken to us, you and me, by who? His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He had appointed heir of all things, through whom all things He made the world. So it is through Jesus Christ that speaks. So the writer of Hebrews is giving us the fifth warning. Not only to the first reader of Hebrews, but to you and I. Do not refuse Him, Jesus Christ, who speaks. But to refuse Him and refuse what He speaks is to perish. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie's been digging into the book of Hebrews in a series called Jesus is Better. This book touches on so many amazing things, but really ties in the Old Testament covenant with the new. The author mentions the importance of the high priest and the sacrifices that were made. But the point is that Jesus became the high priest and also the sacrificial lamb for all people. Isn't it amazing how Jesus fulfilled all that was in the Old Testament? 
It's because Jesus became the high priest that now we can go to him for our strength, our courage, and our hope. Another way to come to God is in prayer. Jessica wants to tell you more about this. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. While you're there, you can find all sorts of information about Calvary Chapel of Milford. And if you're in the area, we'd love to have you come visit on a Sunday morning. You'll find service times and directions on our website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks for listening to Running the Race.